And aren't you glad that we are living in a nation where we can praise God, that we can gather together, that we don't have to worry about persecution, we don't have to worry about people taking our freedom and telling us we can't gather together, we can't worship Him. And I know we just came out of at least eight weeks where we weren't able to gather together, but it wasn't targeted at the church. It wasn't specific to God's people. But now as that is beginning to pass, we're back together worshiping God in a gathered group of people today. As I mentioned earlier, and all of you are aware, this is Memorial Day weekend, and so I am going to preach a a message that kind of ties in with the theme of this particular weekend. I'm going to be reading today from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read just three verses today. This is Paul writing his final biblical letter, the final epistle that he would write, and he's writing this to Timothy, who is his son in the gospel. Paul is actually sitting in a jail cell awaiting execution, and we'll see that as part of what is coming out in the text here. But he writes this in verse 6 of chapter 4. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. And so I'm going to take my title from chapter 7 and preach just for a little bit on fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. God bless you. You may be seated. Memorial Day was originally called Decoration Day. From the early tradition of decorating graves with flowers, wreaths, and flags, Memorial Day is a day for remembrance of those who have died in service to our country. It was first widely observed on May 30th, 1868 to commemorate the sacrifices of Civil War soldiers by proclamation of General John A. Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic, an organization of former Union soldiers and sailors. During that first national commemoration, former Union General and sitting Ohio Congressman James Garfield made a speech at Arlington National Cemetery after which 5,000 participants helped to decorate the graves of more than 20,000 Union and Confederate soldiers who were buried there. This event was inspired by local observances of that day that had taken place in several towns throughout America in the three years after the Civil War. In 1873, New York was the first state to designate Memorial Day as a legal holiday. By the late 1800s, many more cities and communities observed Memorial Day, and several states had declared it a legal holiday. After World War I, it became an occasion for honoring those who died in all of America's wars and was then more widely established as a national holiday throughout the United States. And now we still celebrate that the last Monday of May every year. At that first Decoration Day or Memorial Day, James Garfield said this. He said, We do not know one promise these men made 
one pledge they gave, one word they spoke. But we do know they summed up and perfected by one supreme act, the highest virtues of men and citizens. For love of country they accepted truth, or they accepted death, and thus resolved all doubts and made immortal their patriotism and their virtue. And so this weekend we celebrate all of those who have died in service for our country and defending freedom and and uh, the liberty that we have and we hold so dear in these United States of America. But there are others who have died for what they believe in. Specifically, there are others who have died for their faith and who have died for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, we don't have to worry about that here in the United States, but around the world and throughout the last 2,000 years, people have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. They have been martyred for what they believed in, for the truth that you and I believe about God's Word, for the truth that we hold dear about the apostolic message that was preached in the book of Acts and beyond. And Paul is, as I mentioned, he is in a cell in Rome. He is getting ready to be killed. He's getting ready to be martyred for his faith, for his belief in Jesus Christ, and for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and Paul, of course, is not alone because all of the apostles, all of the early church fathers, they were persecuted for their belief in Jesus, for their preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are three things that I want to pull out of of these three verses that I read. And the first is this, is that we must remain faithful to God and to the gospel in spite of the results. That regardless of the results of our believing and our preaching and our ministry, in spite of all of that, whatever the results are, we must remain faithful. Paul said this, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. He knows that he's getting ready to die. It's just a matter of time until they put him to death. It wasn't very long after this that he would be beheaded for the cause of Jesus Christ. And so he knew what was coming. He knew it was coming down the line. It was just a matter of time. And, and Paul had already experienced a, a multitude of persecution and a multitude of suffering That's why he says, I am already being poured out. I'm in prison and I can't get out. I've been in prison for years off and on. He's been beaten. He's been been shipwrecked. He's been stoned. He's he's all of these different things that have taken place. And he says, I'm already being poured out. And he uses this uh, allusion to the Jewish celebration or offering or sacrifice of pouring out a, a cup of liquid unto the Lord as a celebration of what God has provided. And he says, I'm being poured out like that. Once you pour it out, you can't get it back. It's over. It's done with. And and I really doubt that Paul had any idea when he started serving Jesus of where this would end. When he runs into Jesus on the road to Damascus, as he's going there to Damascus to persecute Christians, and he sees this bright light and he hears this voice and, Three days later, he's in Damascus and he experiences salvation. I really doubt that he knew where this would end. He's been out killing those same Christians. He's been persecuting them. He's been putting them to death for their testimony of Jesus Christ. And 
And maybe he didn't think it would turn out the same for him when he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I don't really know. But there is a phrase in Acts chapter 9 that gives us a little glimpse of, of maybe what's going on. And, and God doesn't tell this necessarily to Paul. God tells this to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. It's Paul's companion, Luke, who would later write that down and Maybe by then Paul has an idea that this is not going to end like I, I thought it would. That it's going to end for me like it did for those whom I persecuted, those whom I put to death. But in spite of all of that, he has remained faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the, the persecution, regardless of the beatings, regardless of the stoning, regardless of the shipwreck, regardless of the imprisonment, he has remained faithful in spite of where this seems to be going, that just in just a little while, death is coming, but he's remained faithful. And so I would tell you, even though we're here in the United States and persecution is not even on the radar, but around the world there are people who are being killed every day for their testimony of Jesus Christ. In fact, they would tell you that there are people that are being killed more now than they've ever been for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I can't imagine being in that situation and being in that scenario where I have to be afraid for my life if I want to go to church. I can't imagine being in a situation where I can't mention the name of Jesus in public or they may throw me in jail. But around our world, that's what's going on. And so I would just tell you that in spite of all of that, remain faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remain faithful to the cause of Jesus Christ, regardless of the persecution and in spite of the results. The bulk of what Paul talks about is in Acts, or is in verse 7 here. And that is this we must remain faithful until the finish. He uses three different analogies that some would say are parallel, but I, but I would tell you there's a little nuance and a little difference and distinction between all of these. The first thing he says is this, I have fought the good fight. You've probably heard that verse out, or that, that phrase outside of the Bible. In fact, not too long ago I was reading a book and somebody used that phrase in the, in the book in a it was a, not in a religious sense, but they used it in the definite, I have fought the good fight. Not a good fight, but I have fought the good fight. And so I thought about that. If you, if you watch boxing or you watch any kind of combat sports, they use that phrase all the time, a good fight. Or if you watch football, it's a good game when the teams are evenly matched and, and, and it's your team wins, of course, and, and that makes it a better, a better game. But, but when the teams are evenly matched, it's not a blowout and, it, and it, there's some action into it. There's some scoring and there's some defense and it's a good game. But they never say, and that was the good game. They never say that was the good fight it's always a because there's a multitude of them and so I, I was wondering I was wrestling a little bit with why is it that he uses the phrase the good fight in fact he would use this in 
1 Timothy chapter 6, in his first letter that he wrote to Timothy, he tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, fight the good fight. Not fight a good fight, but fight the good fight. And, and the reality is this, is that it's not just one of many good fights, but it is the good fight. And the reason it is the good fight is because it is a fight for good. It is a fight for that which is good. It's not just that you're doing well and you're fighting, but you're fighting for that which is good. You're fighting for the cause of the gospel, and you're fighting for what Jesus Christ has done. You're fighting for the truth of God's word. And that makes it the good fight. But beyond that, you're also fighting for the good one. When the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good master, what does Jesus say? He says, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. And he wasn't saying, don't call me good because I'm not God. He just said, I, I want to know if you understand what you're really doing here, what you're really saying. There's nobody good but God. Is that why you're calling me good? Do you understand what that means? But when we're fighting for the cause of Jesus Christ, we are fighting for the good one. There is none good but God. And he says, I have fought the good fight. Anybody want to fight the good fight today? Anybody want to be on the side of Jesus Christ, fighting the truth, fighting for the gospel of Jesus Christ, fighting for apostolic doctrine of what they taught in the first century and what we hold dear, fighting for baptism in Jesus' name, and fighting for the truth that there is only one God and His name is Jesus. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. This fight is not against people. Regardless of whether people are persecuting, regardless of whether people are standing in opposition to the gospel or the truth that we believe and the truth of the word of God, our, our battle is not with people. He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places rulers of the darkness of this world. He says it's about spiritual opposition. That's what we're fighting against. And we fight the good fight because we're standing against the evil one and we're fighting for the good one. We're fighting for Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the side of Jesus Christ. I want to be on the side of the one who is God overall, the one who's going to wrap it all up. In the end of the book, we win. We've been doing a study on the the end times on Wednesday night doing a, a Zoom Bible study that we started during the uh, shutdown or the stay-at-home orders. And whether you can figure it all out or not, I would tell you I don't have it all figured out. That's, there's a reason it's the end times. So you'll know when you get there. But one thing is certain. If we're on the side of Jesus Christ, we win. That at the end, we're going to win if we're on the side of Jesus Christ. And if we're not on his side, we're in trouble. But I want to be fighting the good fight for the good one who's going to win in the end. Can I get an amen today? And then he says, he says, I have finished the race. I have finished the race. Actually, what... The, the words imply in, in the Greek that, that's behind this is, is that it's not just racing until you stop. I don't know about you, but 
I don't like to run. Anybody like to run? Is there any runners in here? You just like, you go out. I can barely see you, but I don't see any hands, so I'm in good company. And, and, and so I have never had any desire to just get out and go jogging. If there's not a ball I'm chasing or there's not food, I'm not running. I mean, I like to play sports, but to run, to run, just for the, the I, I don't know, man. And, and maybe people tell me when they, when they do that, you know, they get, this, they get this runner's high. What that really means is you've lost your mind. Somewhere along the way, no, I'm just kidding. I have a lot of friends who run, but that's what they tell you, that you run and then you get tired and then you get this runner's high and it's like you get this second wind as they call it and, and you don't feel it and you're just, man, you're just having a great time. But that, that's, that's not me. But even then, they're eventually going to stop. They're going to stop running. And, and Paul, the, the words he uses is not just run until you decide to stop. What he really says here is, I have finished my course. I have finished the race course. That Paul is coming down to the end of his life, and he probably didn't know in Acts chapter 9 how long this would be, and he didn't know exactly where the gospel would take him and where God would lead him. But he comes down to the end and he knows this, that Jesus has it all in his hands. That he knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows the end from the beginning and he knows when the end of the race is coming. And he says, I have finished my race. I, I didn't just decide that I've gotten tired and I, and I want to be done. But God has decided that the end of the race is here. And the race is different for different people. It may be it may be 10 years or 5 years or 25 or 55 or 65, whatever it happens to be on how long you serve Jesus Christ. The reality is that you and I don't know that, but I want to stay until the end. That whatever the end of the race is for me, I don't want to stop short of finishing the course that Jesus has planned out for me. And in these other countries where people are being persecuted for the gospel... It'd be real easy to say, I mean, I've, I've done enough. I've finished my race. It's good enough. I don't have to keep telling people about Jesus. I, I've told enough people about Jesus. But they don't do that. They're like Paul, and they're going, I'm going to keep running the race until God says it's time to stop. That I'm going to finish my course. It's not just pure perseverance, but that is part of it, finishing the course. Not stopping when the going gets tough, not stopping when things don't go like you think they should, but finishing the course that God has laid out. And lastly, in verse 7, he says this, he says, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Once again, he uses a definite article he doesn't just say, I have kept faith. He doesn't even say, I, I've, just, I've remained faithful. And that's implied in this, but he says, I have kept the faith. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that, that articular, that definite article 
repeated over and over when it's the Word of God or it's the truth or it is the way or the life or as it says in, in Jude, the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And what he's saying is I haven't just remained faithful. I haven't just remained uh, having faith in Jesus Christ. That's part of it. That's, that's implied in this. As he said, But I haven't changed the message. That the same faith that I had, the same gospel that I was preaching, I still preach that and I still live that regardless of whether I'm in prison for it or regardless of whether I'm being persecuted because of it. He says, I have kept the faith. Paul would go so far as in Galatians, he would say this. He says, if anybody comes preaching any other gospel than what I have already preached, he says, let him be accursed. In other words, he's saying, let them go to hell if they come and preach something other than the gospel that I've preached. And he says the reality is if they're preaching anything else, it's not another gospel. Because gospel means good news. And if they're preaching something that doesn't get you to heaven, it's not good news. So it's not another gospel. It's no gospel at all. And he said further, he says, if I come back and change my mind and I tell you, Something different than what I told you before. Let me go to hell. And he said, if an angel comes and tries to tell you something besides what I've already told, let them be accursed as well. He says, I haven't left the gospel. I've stayed faithful to the gospel. I'm going to keep the gospel. I'm going to keep the faith. I have kept everything that I have told you. I haven't turned my back on it because the going got tough. But I have remained faithful to the truth of God. The first five verses of 2 Timothy 4 confirms his intent. Those first five verses, he says, the time will come. after He gives Timothy, actually, first of all, an exhortation to preach the word. Not preach a word, but preach the word. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He says, for the time will come when they will not want to hear true teaching. They're not going to want to hear true doctrine. But they're going to want to hear things that are different. They're going to draw to themselves other teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. But he says, Timothy, you preach the word. And he ends his, his testimony, or this middle part of his testimony, he says, I have kept the faith, I have remained true to that word. I haven't changed it, I haven't done anything but stick true to what God has given me. So until the finish, we need to remain faithful to the gospel. Fight the good fight, finish our course, and keep the faith. And then lastly, he says this, there is a promised reward. That if we do all of that, there is a reward that is going to be granted. He says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And to give you hope that I'm almost done, I'm going to have Kim go ahead and come to the piano. I'm going to try to wrap this up. He says, there is a reward that's coming to me. There is a crown of righteousness. Paul uses a lot of sports analogies like any good preacher does. 
or even bad preachers sometimes like me. But he, he, he uses this crown. It's not, a, it's not necessarily a gold crown, but it's, he's alluding to the crown that they would get from winning a sports race. It was really a wreath of garland that was placed on their head. And he's talked about that in other of his letters. He says, I, I, I'm running for a crown that is not perishable, that won't wither and die. It won't turn brown. It won't fade away. But he says, I'm running for one that is imperishable, that will not fade away, that will not brown and, and will not dry up and will not be easily torn apart. He says, and there is a crown of righteousness not because he's earned it through his righteousness, but it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the righteous one who has given him this crown, saying that he has actually finished his race. He's finished the course. And I would tell you is this, that when you finish the race, if you've, keep, if you've kept the faith, there is no first and second and third. Everyone is a winner. It finishes the race. Everybody, he says, can have this crown of righteousness. It's not just for me, he says, but for all those who love his appearing. What does that mean, all those who love his appearing? It means they're longing for, they're looking for. To those who look for him, shall he appear the second time? If you're not looking for his return, that passage would imply that you're not going to see it. You're not going to experience it. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you can't help but be looking for him. You can't help but, as I said a couple of weeks ago, saying what it is that they, it's at the end of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. That you understand and recognize that there's nothing down here that can compare with life over there. No matter how good you have it, no matter how great the food or how much money, and no matter how cool the things, they can never compare to what we're going to have over there. And so, even so, come Lord Jesus. To those who look for Him shall He appear the second time. If we're longing for His appearing, if we're looking for His appearing. And it's not just i become a Christian for a get-out-of-jail-free card. To get-out-of-hell-free card. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. You can't just say, you know what, I, I don't want to go to hell, so I, I'll, I'll say I'm going to follow Jesus. You actually have to follow Jesus. You can't just say, I believe in Jesus. You actually have to live like you believe in Jesus. It's not the roll of the dice. It's not just taking the chance, pulling that card out of the middle of the Monopoly board and oh, get out of jail free. To those who look for Him, those who are following Him, those who are serving Him are looking for Him and going, even so, come Lord Jesus. It is in that day, He says, that I'll get that crown of righteousness. What day is it? It's the day of the return of Jesus. It's the day that we stand before Him. That's when 
he'll give us that crown of righteousness. And if you read the book of Revelation, they're gonna, we're going to take that crown that he's given us and we're going to throw it back at his feet and we're going to say, worthy is the lamb. We didn't deserve it. We didn't do anything. It was all because of you. All because of what you have done, Jesus, that, that we're even in heaven. But there is a reward of life forever with Jesus Christ. Would you stand together? We have a gospel that is worth fighting for. We have a gospel that will take people to heaven. It is good news because apart from that gospel, people are destined to spend an eternity away from Jesus Christ in torment and hell. But we have a gospel worth standing up for. We have a gospel worth fighting for. We need to fight the good fight. That we should have passion and determination that nothing is going to sway us and turn us from the truth of God's Word. Because it is something worth fighting for. We need to fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. There is a an occurrence at Arlington National Cemetery. It's an elaborate ceremony. October 1st through March 31st. It's every half hour or every hour. And then from April 1st through September 30, it's every half hour. Where they change the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And, and you can look it up. I'm not, and you, most of you already know. I won't go into all of that. But this tomb of the unknown soldier. It's in Arlington National Cemetery. It's their most iconic memorial. It stands atop a hill overlooking Washington, D.C. It's neoclassical design. White marble sarcophagus depicts three carved Greek figures representing peace, victory, and valor. It stands above the grave of the unknown soldier of World War I. They didn't know who he was. Now it is a memorial to those unknowns from World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam as well. But the inscription on the back of the tomb says this, Here rest in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. There's no way that you and I could ever know all of those who have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. There's no way we could know all of the people that have endured persecution. But I promise you, they are known to God. That He knows everyone who has fought the good fight and who's finished their race and who's kept the faith. Rome couldn't put down the gospel of Jesus Christ. They tried. They killed all of the apostles except for John and it's not for lack of trying. They tried over and over and he wouldn't die. 
Rome continued to persecute Christians and when they couldn't beat them, they finally joined them in 313. But throughout history, people have tried to put down the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've tried to kill and eradicate those who follow Jesus. Communism in Russia couldn't put it down. The communists in China can't put it down. In the Sudan, they can't put it down. And in the Middle East and primarily Islamic countries, they can't put it down because the gospel is worth fighting for. The gospel is worth defending. The gospel is worth preaching. The gospel is worth telling all of your neighbors and friends. The gospel is worth going to prison over. The gospel is worth being put to death for. And anything that's worth that can't be stopped. And so I tell you, fight the good fight. We're not experiencing all of that. The worst we can experience is somebody think we're crazy. Somebody think we're nuts for talking about Jesus. Fight the good fight. Finish the course that He has set for you. And keep the faith. Don't walk away from the truth of God's Word regardless of who comes against you or who tries to convince you that it's not true. If it's in the book, it's true. We need to fight the good fight. Would you lift your voices, your hands right now? Jesus, we love you. God, we want to stand firm on the truth of your word. We want to stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we want to worship you. We want to preach the gospel. We want to share the gospel. God, we want to keep the faith. We want to finish the race that you have planned for us. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus.